but let's let's stand in, in, in honor of God's word, and we'll read from Romans chapter 12 and verse number 16. This is the verse that we began last week. These are the practical applications of those things that we've been working out doctrinally throughout the book of Romans, and we're here, and Paul's making application of these things. In verse number 16, be of the same mind one toward another. We, we, we quoted the verse from Amos last week, how can two walk together except they be agreed? You know, how can we walk together except we be agreed? That's what verse 16 is saying, be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things. Boy, that's, I mean, that's just the world around us. Um, that's that's the, the kids in school that I went to school with. You know, they were, they were minding high things. Pride, you know, ran rampant. Um, you know, from the school spirit of the team to, you know, everything else, you know, in between. But there weren't many humble kids that I knew growing up in school. How many humble kids did you know, Donnie? Did you know any humble kids? Yeah, wasn't even one myself. Yeah. Um, so, mind not high things. A lot of people are high-minded. They mind high things. They think upon, you know, think other things than God. I mean, it's, it's the things of this world we were talking about this morning, you know, that those that are on the broad road to destruction, um, you know, are, are, are thinking upon. Mind not high things, but condescend. And this is not a condescending sort of an attitude towards somebody. It's humility is what this is. Condescend. It's, 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 it's me seeing someone, and I saw someone this week that is, is this type of person for me. I mean, there are brothers and sisters that we all know that are more humble than others, don't we? And, and you are, at least as a Christian, you should be drawn to those people. They're not all about themselves. You know, they're, they're about Christ. You know, uh, I'm not saying they don't have any pride at all. None of us have defeated those things completely, and we've, we've, we've talked about that. But, but they're so humble. They're so easy to talk to. Um, you know, they're, they're not condescending. You know, we could talk, think about it that way, but, but the, this, this word condescend that we see here, at least in the King James Version, condescend to men of low estate, gravitate to the, to the humble. Gravitate to the humble. Condescend the men of low estate. And then the last part of verse 16, and then we'll pray. And I'll let you sit down. You're thinking, when are we going to sit down? I could stand the whole time, you know. Um, be not wise in your own conceits. Again, this is along the lines of being high-minded. Don't have a high estimation of yourself. That's not what the world's going to tell you. The world's build you up puff you up, make you think a lot of yourself. We don't need to be thinking a lot of ourselves. We need to be thinking a lot of Christ. We need to think a lot of God, uh, not of ourselves. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, and in due time you'll be exalted. Um, So be not wise in your own estimation. And So even if you're smart, I don't know who the smartest person in the room is. And if you start saying it's me, you know, then, <laughs> but honestly, there is somebody in this room that's more than likely smarter than the rest of us. 
right? More than likely that's the case. But an humble person who is intelligent and is the smartest person in the room doesn't make you feel like you're dumb, right? They're humble about it. And what would they say? If I, would say, if I were to say that Brother John was that person, he'd probably say, Brother, if you see anything in me, if there's any, any natural wisdom in me, if, if there is any spiritual wisdom in me, it's not me. God did that. God did that. I didn't do that. God did that. And somebody says, well, wait a second. You went to college. You were the one that showed up every day for class. You were the one that, that drugged those textbooks around. You were, the ones that cra- you were the one that cracked them open when you got home at night and you, and you prepared and studied. Didn't you do that? No, brother. God gave me that brain. God gave me that desire. Um, it's not me. It's, it's all. He gets all the glory. It's not mine. It's all his. So you see what Paul's talking about here? Um, so let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. I'm going to ask Cohen if he'd pray for me. Amen. You may be seated. So we spoke last week about being carried away with the humble. That's not something that you hear very often. You know, people get carried away, you know, with other things. But the scripture here is telling us, get carried away with humble people. You know, think much of humble people. Spend much time with humble people. Um, be carried away with the humble. That's, that's the chief meaning there of that word condescend. It, it really means to associate. Associate with the humble. You know, I mean, we all know the people that know everything and they've got to tell you everything they know, right? And they're not the most pleasant people to be around most of the time, you know? Now, if I need to know something about something, you know, because I don't really know a lot about the weather, Cohen, and I appreciate when you send those things out. But if I need to know something about a particular cloud formation or, you know, a storm system or something, and Cohen's got enough information. He, he monitors that kind of stuff. It's kind of a hobby for him. You know, I could ask him a question, and, and he would, you know, be glad to share that information with me. Um, but if he's humble-minded and not high-minded, you know, then he's not going to make me feel like, didn't you go to school? I mean, didn't you learn about all the different kind of clouds? That, I'm going to show my ignorance here. You know, I guess there's, is it, there's nimbulous clouds, right? Is that one, maybe? Nimbulous? Is that a, no? No? Okay. Don't even, don't make me feel bad, Cohen. Don't make me feel bad. So, yeah. What I do remember, Donnie, I do remember laying on the ground, you know, in first grade and looking up at the clouds and saying, oh, that looks like, you know, you know, that's my extent of knowledge of clouds, you know. <laughs> I can tell when it looks like it's going to rain, you know, but anyway. So, it's to associate with the humble. God's people should be humble. You know, we should want to associate with one another, shouldn't we? I mean, we should be humble. Why? Because it's God's grace that it saved us. It wasn't ourselves. You know, we didn't save ourselves. God showed us mercy. We could have never reconciled ourselves to God. God sent his son. You know, and so associating with 
the humble. You know, it, the, the scripture says the meek, and meekness is not weakness. The meek shall inherit the earth. What, what takes more strength? If I were to come up to you and, 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 and I didn't watch the Oscars, but I've, you know, the news, of course, you can't escape Will Smith, you know, slapped, you know, Chris Rock, you know. But if I were to walk, walk up to Heath and I were to slap him across the face, I mean, he was expecting a hug maybe. And I come and slap him across the face, even though he's my cousin. I don't, not exactly sure how you might react to that. If he's meek, which takes more strength? Would it take more strength for him to slap me back? Or would it take more strength to say, brother, what's wrong? You know, and, and to turn the other cheek sort of thing. You know, which one takes more strength? Um, you know, what, what's going on? <laughs> hey, hold on. Let's, let's calm down, slow down here. You know, uh, I don't want to have to put you in a headlock and put you down in front of your son, you know, but, you know. <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's the humble, the, weak, the meek. The meek shall inherit the earth, Scripture says. Who, who is it the Lord looks unto, Scripture says? It's the humble it's the lowly, it's the contrite in heart. Isn't that what Scripture says? So be not conceited, don't have, I, I'm giving you really the kind of the whole message, you know, here in the beginning, and then I'm going to kind of dive into some other things, but, but um, you know, not being conceited, don't think too highly of yourself. Uh, don't think highly of yourself. Don't have an overinflated opinion of yourself. I'm not saying you may not know how to do your job. You may. You may be able to do it better than the guy next to you. you know, but if I'm going to show the love of Christ to him, I'm not going to make him feel stupid. You know, here's this unbeliever I'm working with. I'm not going to make him feel ignorant and, and ruin what opportunity I might have you know, to ha- be a testimony. You know, I, I want to come alongside him and say, hey, can I help you do that? And, and, and instead of saying, you know, you're doing that wrong, Saying, hey, what do you think about this way? You know, this, this is the way that, that, that I was taught. Maybe I'm doing this wrong. That's kind of the humble way to approach it, isn't it? You know, he may not listen to you, but you tried. You sought to take, you know, that road. Now, if, if Donnie at work, because he deals with some high-voltage stuff, he sees a guy fixing to do this, you know, it might be the best course of action to slap him away. <laughs> Instead of say, saying, that's not a good idea. I wouldn't do that if I were you, you know. Um, you know, it may require you know a different course of action, but but uh, having an overinflated inflated opinion of yourself, being wise in your own sight, uh, you know, if I had some suspenders, you know, I could do that, you know, sort of thing. But I don't have any, you know. I'm really something, you know. Um, but that sums up the thinking of the world. You know, it's it's about pride and it's about being being somebody and overinflated, you know, egos and things of that nature. That's not what the Lord's called us unto. You know, that was the downfall of the devil. And we mentioned that last week. But let me read it to you again. This is in Isaiah uh, chapter 14. Here's the downfall of the devil. Isaiah 14, 13. We read, Thou hast said in thine heart, this is the devil saying this, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. 
I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will be like the most high. And God says, yet thou shalt be brought down to hell. What was hell created for? The devil and his angels, right? Thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. Now, why do I say it that way? Well, let me just ask you. Do you see in Scripture anywhere where the Bible says that there's been any redemption provided for the angels? We don't, do we? I mean, you see, you see God in Christ, and I, God's thoughts are higher. I, I can't pretend to explain you know, this to you other than to just declare the facts. God passed by the angels and came to fallen man. That's just what we see in Scripture. There's no redemption for angels. There's not going to be any redemption for Lucifer. There's not going to be a redemption for his demons, for the fallen angels, those that, that decided to follow him, the third of the stars of the heaven that fell. The hell was created for them. But redemption has been provided for man. And if you're sitting here this morning and you do not know Christ, and you're going to reject the only begotten Son of God, and you're going to reject the gospel, then hell was created for you too. No one in hell is going to say, God, I asked you to save me, and you wouldn't. It's not going to happen. It's not a reality. So back to that. I wasn't intending to go you know, there, but, but back to this thought of humility that the devil didn't possess that. At some point... We're not given all the history there, but at some point, he decided, I am going to dethrone God. I'm going to dethrone God. And honestly, if you're living apart from God, apart from Christ, you're seeking to dethrone God. You don't want God to rule in your life. You're suppressing the truth. You don't want to hear the things of God. You're not concerned about the things of God. In fact... If we're quite honest with ourselves, if we're in that condition, we really hate the things of God. So as we look at the devil and we see that picture of the devil there and the epitome really of pride, couldn't we say? Couldn't we say that, what we read there of him? I mean, the pride to say that I'm going to dethrone God. I'm going to become God. I'm going to cast God down off of his throne. I mean, that's pretty high-minded. That's pretty prideful. There's not any humility there. And yet, we see the only begotten Son of God humbling himself. And he becomes as a man. And he takes on sinful flesh. And he sacrifices himself. He gave his life. It wasn't taken from him. He gave himself for us. There's humility, isn't there? That's humility. That's Philippians 2. Turn over there with me to Philippians chapter number 2. Philippians, the second chapter. After Ephesians, before Colossians, if that helps. 
but you know you don't hear much of the the, the page you know turning a lot of people have electronic you know devices so um, that really helps I remember as a kid some pastor would call out some book that I where's that at you know where's Amos and I'm back here in the front of the, oh okay page number yeah but now that we have these phones and things you mean as long as you know it's in the Old Testament or New Testament you're probably gonna find it you can do pretty good um, but Philippians chapter number two beginning in verse number four and tell me if this doesn't fit with Romans twelve sixteen. Philippians 2 4 says look not every man on his own things don't here's the world's maxim look out for number one that's the way the world thinks look out for number one I'm, I'm glad to work with a, a, an humble-minded person instead of a high-minded person because that person's going to be the one that, that even though, even though it's, a, it's a five-gallon bucket of paint, and she knows I'm talking about her already, and, and that's really on the third rack up is really more, you know, I mean, she's probably struggling. She, you've probably got a lot stronger since you've been there, you know. I mean, not that you weren't already, you know, having to deal with cowboy and the horse and the feed and all that kind of stuff. But, but um, you know, for somebody that may be smaller than her and is really struggling, she's like, let me help you with that. You know, whereas the one that's looking out for number one says, you're getting paid just like I am. You either pull your own weight, you're out of here. You know, that's kind of the way a lot of the world, you know, thinks. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. We're not talking about being a busybody here. Did you know what Ke- Sister Carolyn said last week? You know, that's not what we're talking about. You know, I'm talking about coming alongside and helping. I'm talking about coming alongside and bearing a burden. I'm talking about the body like I was talking about earlier this morning that's coming alongside and weeping with those who weep and rejoicing with those who rejoice. That's what we're talking about there. It's having a large heart. I could tell, sister, you had a large heart when I first met you. You know, I mean, a, a lot of my side, you know, a lot of my family, you know, we're we're kind of, you know, reserved a little bit. Sister Delina's a little more outgoing, you know, um, and I could, you know, you you could you you get a chance to read her before you may read me. You know, where I may be standing back over here in the corner and people are like, what's up with him? You don't have to wonder, you know, if, if you're an outgoing person, you know. But if you're an introvert, you know, you kind of have to wonder about that person. You know, what kind of person are they? They don't really say a whole lot. You know, I don't really know, you know, what they're thinking. Um, don't really know how to pray for them. You know, they don't really have a conversation, you know, with me. Um, so, you know, there's, there's both extremes. And I'm not saying that you're the most outgoing person I've ever met. There are people that are more outgoing. There are people that are more, you know, introverted even, you know, than... I had to work through some of those things that the Lord was going to use me to preach, right? I, I couldn't stand in the corner and still stand up here. Um, but that, my personality was the one... I didn't sit on the front row. You know, I sat in the back. You know, that was me. Um, I wasn't a Peter. You know, Peter was always speaking... You know, he was always charging forward. You know, uh, I would have been somewhere better back behind him. Um, so, 
having a large heart, having great care, you know, for others. Um, not only desiring your, your own soul's prosperity, but desiring the prosperity of the soul of another. You know, do you, do you desire? I mean, I, I, I know Sister Delina desires the, the prosperity of, of your soul as, as her son, you know, Cohen, and, and Donnie of, of you as her husband, you know, and of her mom and dad, you know, but being in Christ, it goes beyond that, doesn't it? I mean, she's concerned about my kids. You know, and when Anna was when Anna was saved, she rejoiced. You know, in that. So we desire the prosperity not of our own souls only. We're not concerned just about me, but we're concerned about others, about others in the body of Christ, under the headship of Christ. The unity of the body. The unity of the body. The harmony of the whole of the body of Christ. Listen to what, you know, we we have that verse that we just read there, right, in verse number four. And then you continue on in verse number five, and we, we have the supreme example. I mean, I cannot give justice to this passage of Scripture. Um, let me just read it to you. Philippians 2, beginning in verse number 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. You know, we kind of talked about that a little bit this morning, didn't we? I mean, I'm to love my wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. That's a high standard. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found fashion, in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Which, you know when the scripture says that, that was the most torturous, that was the worst sort of death that men had devised at that time. So, the Lord not only gave himself for us, but he did so upon a cross, upon a cross, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He became a man, the the creator became one of his creatures. He didn't lay aside his deity. He robed his glory in flesh, and he came to earth, and he died for sinful man. He died for sinful man. So, What are we being told? Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God, and he is equal, co-equal, co-eternal. He's not less than God. He is God. God saved us from himself. We've talked about that before. What was that... that, um, 
that phrase there in the hymn that we sang last week, his robes for mine. Um, you know, we, we talked about it. Somebody can look that up and tell me. You ask about it, sister. His robes for mine, the hymn that we sang last week. There was a phrase in there that I don't know if anybody remembers. Maybe somebody could, could look at that. I don't even remember if it's in the blue book or the black book. But, um, oh, I'm sorry. I have it here. I forgot that I put it here. Apologies. Um, his robes for mine. God's justice is appeased. Jesus is crushed, and thus the Father's pleased. Some people would say, how cruel. No, it's glorious. It's wondrous. It's merciful that God would show such mercy unto us that He would punish His only begotten Son and that His Son would take what was due unto me, take the hell due unto me, the wrath and judgment due unto me, and that He would pay for that Himself and that He would take my unrighteousness and give me His, His robes for mine, His righteous robes. So let me continue reading. Christ drank God's wrath on sin, and then what did he cry? It's finished. It's done. Sin's wage is paid. Propitiation won. That word propitiation means that he absorbed the wrath of God that was due unto me upon himself. That's what happened. His robes for mine, such anguish none can know. Christ, God's beloved, Condemned as though his foe, he as though I, accursed and left alone. You remember? Why hast thou forsaken me? Cursed and left alone. I as though he, embraced and welcomed home. And I thought I had the phrase. And if anybody started looking it up, you'll have to look it up because I didn't. I got part of it, but not all of it. Um, anyway. Um, he, he, he descended, he humbled himself, he descended that we might ascend, that we might inherit eternal life, that we might have hope of heaven. I hope that you have that hope. He comes down to humanity to rise again. And we talked about that this morning already, where that resurrection that we see in that God's acceptance, there's an empty tomb He didn't just die and he was buried in a tomb and he remains there. No, he died and he's risen again. And he ever lives to make intercession for us. He comes down to humanity to rise again, to redeem and bring with him those who were ruined by sin. Romans 5, 6 says, For when we were without strength, in due time Christ came and died for the ungodly. While we were enemies, Christ died for us. While we were at enmity, which is, really means hatred, while we were enemies of God, Christ died for the ungodly. He came down in order to lift us up. You want to talk about humility? You want to talk about humble-minded? We're talking about God dwelling in glory. We're talking about God being robed in glorious light and surrounded by angels who are praising him continually. You know, we see it in the Old Testament. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And he left that 
to come and die for you and me. That's amazing grace. You know, that is amazing grace. How sweet that sound. And the man who wrote that hymn knew something of that himself. Slave trader he was. Ended up being sold into slavery himself. God brought him through those things. He's in the depths of despair and he remembers the verses of Scripture that his mother faithfully read to him. And God used those things to bring him to an end of himself and bring him to the foot of the cross and repent of his sins and call upon Christ to be a Savior. He came down in order to lift us up. He became for us the perfect model of humiliation. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And Brother Donnie's still reading through. I want to say it was in the chorus. His robes for mine. God, that was, the ver, that was the phrase we talked about last week. Think about that. God estranged from God. That's deep. That is deep. God estranged from God. He existed in the form of God. Didn't, didn't regard it as, 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 as being too high-minded. You would think about being high-minded. Let's just say, and, and I know... I'll, I'll, I'll not pick on Brother John. I'll pick on Daniel. <laughs> so Daniel's the smartest guy in the room. And I'm just as smart as Daniel, maybe. Okay? I don't have any reason to think that Daniel's smarter than I am. Daniel doesn't have any reason to think that I'm smarter than he is. You know, we've, we've, we've played chess maybe several times, and it's just been a stalemate, you know, every time. We've, we've covered multiple subjects physics, different things, and, and there's just not anything that he knows that I don't know, that I know that he doesn't know. We're equal. We know the same things. He's not smarter than I am. I'm not smarter than he is. Now, I know the likelihood of that, you know, being a reality for two people is probably not that great. Somebody's probably always going to be smarter than somebody else. But what we're talking about here is co-equal, co-eternal, the, the Godhead. It, it, it wasn't high-mindedness for him to think. It was that he was equal, equal with God. But he laid aside that glory to come down and redeem fallen humanity. I mean, you think about that place. I mean, we think about heaven and what a glorious thing heaven will be. Would you ever want to leave? I have trouble sometimes that people say they've been to heaven and came back, you know. <laughs> Why would you want to leave? <laughs> um, but, you know, please, Lord, let me stay. You know, I don't want to go back to that body. You know, I don't want to go back to that world. I don't want to go back to that fallen world. I want to stay here, you know. But anyway, but you think about there he was being praised. There he was being magnified. There he was being glorified. And yet out of his great love for us, because there was nothing in us that was lovely. There wasn't anything in us that he said, oh, well, that's, I got to save that. You know, that's, that's pretty lovely. That's, that's uh, no. We, we were at, at odds with him. We were dead in trespasses and sins, all of us. 
All of us had sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. We know the word of God says that. We don't have to question that. We don't have to wonder about that. We know that we've all sinned. And sometimes people will say to us, you just don't know what I've done. Yeah, I do, because I've sinned too. And it's just as much an offense to God. It stinks just as much in his nostrils as the things that you've done. Well, God couldn't save me. Yeah, he could because he saved me. God couldn't have mercy on me. Yes, he could because he had mercy upon me. God couldn't forgive me. Yes, he could. He forgave me. Yeah. Yes. Yes, there's, there's mercy for you. There's mercy for you. But here we find nothing of selfishness or empty conceit. We find humility of mind that, that he regarded us that he came to save us? Think about one who didn't look after his own things but looked after the things of others. And let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who existed in the form of God. And that's where the incarnation begins, right? The point from which he descends and really condescends to men of low estate. Who was lower than we? Dead in trespasses and sins. Who was lower than we when God sent His only begotten begotten Son to redeem fallen humanity? Who was lower than we? He came to us who dwelt in darkness to bring us light. He came to the lifeless to give life to the hopeless and give hope. 1 Timothy 3.16. We all know John 3.16, right? You need to know 1 Timothy 3.16. You, you, need to, you need to remember 1 Timothy 3.16. When we're looking at something as glorious as what we see here, like I said, I can't, I can't do justice you know, to this. And, and Paul kind of sums it up you know, for Timothy when he says this in 1 Timothy 3.16. He says, and without controversy, I mean, there's, there's no argument here. He says, great is the mystery of godliness. This is too wonderful for me. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. He was justified in the spirit. He was seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. You know, he kind of summarizes the whole thing there. And he says, great is the mystery. It's a glorious thing. It's not that we're without understanding of it, but it's It's deep. Uh, to, to be able to plumb the depths of this completely, to be able to sound out the depths completely. We'd be here longer than this morning. But he had equality with God, being in the form of God, being equal with God, but he, he took on flesh. He didn't regard that. He took on flesh and came to redeem us. John 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He is God. All things were made by Him, and without Him there was nothing made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, that's John the Baptist, and the same came for a witness to bear witness of that light that all men through him might believe. You remember the quote that I read to you recently by Martin Lloyd-Jones where he said that, that the worst thing would be for a man to come into this world 
without knowing that Christ came to save him. To come into this world and go out of it and not know that Christ came as a Savior, that would be like the worst thing. He came to bear witness of that light that was the true light, the light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. You think about that. He's, he's being... He's being praised and honored and glorified in heaven and he comes down to this earth among his creatures not recognizing him not glorifying him he was in the world the world was made by him and the world knew him not he came to his own and his own received him not but as many as received him to them whosoever will as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh. Here we are. This is, this is Philippians 2 territory. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So he became flesh to be made sin. Imagine Let me give you a picture. He became flesh to be made sin. And I'm I'm sorry. What was your name? No, 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 your son. Aiden. Same thing happened to me, Chase. We were at that conference. I don't know how many people were there. Probably close to 200. And so there's lots of more pews. And the guy that was standing up there pointing towards me, I just met him a day before, but he knew I was a pastor. And so he wanted to call me to pray. And he said, Pastor Randall, will you pray? And I'm like, you, you talk, talking to me? And he's like, you don't know your name? And I said, brother, I, I, I said, brother, I got a brother named Randall, but my name's Russell. Were you, were you talking to me? And he said, I'm sorry, brother. Yeah, I was talking to you. You know, I was like, you know, you're looking at me. But you could have been looking at somebody behind me, you know. Um, but there was a young man about your age. And I was standing there talking to somebody else after services. And apparently they had gotten some rain, you know, before we had gotten there. Um, you know, these storm systems that have been passing through here have been passing through there too. And it's a little drainage area, you know, and it came into the parking lot. And you see where a lot of mud, you know, kind of gathered there in the corner. And there was some water. And, you know, I could see him. Oh, he was gauging it. And he made his leap, and he cleared all the water, but he landed in the muck. And when he did, of course, splash, and he was like, yuck. You know, he's probably thinking, my mom's going to kill me. You know, we've got services later, and she didn't, you know, I I have to go change clothes now. Um, But here's my point. You think about that young man and how he leaped over you know, that, that water, and he landed in the muck. You know, he wanted to avoid what he thought was the worst of it, but he still got into it, but he would rather have not gotten it at all. You know, he wanted to avoid it if he could, but he just couldn't leap that far, you know. You see where I'm going? Can you see where I'm going? And we've been talking about humility. You see where I'm going? We've been talking about Christ being made flesh. He didn't try to miss. He dove right into it. 
fallen humanity became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He intentionally jumped right in the middle of it to save us. I'm still speaking about humility. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. That though he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Grasped. He didn't hold on to it, in other words. He didn't say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to leave my glory. No, he humbled himself, even to the point of death, even the death of the cross. He took God's wrath that was due unto us upon himself. That word equality, just in case you want to know, the, the Greek word there has to do with being equal in quantity, quality, character, any way you want to measure it, any standard of measurement you want to use, equal. And people that he talked to understood what he was saying. He became flesh, but he didn't lay aside his deity. And when he began to speak to men and he would say things like, I am, they knew what that meant. And you remember in John chapter 10, he said, for what good work are you stoning me? And they say, for a good work, we're not stoning you, but because you made yourself equal with God. They understood what he was saying. God manifest in the flesh. The Lord jumped into that puddle. Really, I'll I'll use a term from your line of work, brother. He jumped into that cesspool. You know, he jumped into that. If you don't know what a cesspool is, he jumped into that septic system to rescue us. Other false religions try to appease their God so he won't be angry with them. We see Christ coming and taking God's anger for us. He humbled himself so that the wrath of God would be emptied upon him. He drank it to the very bitter end. All the cup. And God was satisfied that our sins had been paid for, that our sins had been atoned for. 1 Peter 2.24, Peter puts it like this. He says, Who his own self bear our sins on, or in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness. And he starts quoting Isaiah here. He says, By whose stripes you were healed. He did what we could not do. He needed nothing, but he left glory to come and die on our behalf. He didn't exchange deity for humanity. Holy, fully God, holy, fully man. In order to save us from our sins, the writer in Hebrews, in Hebrews 1.3 says, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Still talking about humility. Peter and James and John got to see a little bit of it, didn't they? On the Mount of Transfiguration. 
it shone, you know, forth. They were stunned, didn't know what to say. What manner of man is this? It's something they have said at one time. But 2 Corinthians 8 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be made rich. Can, can you see it there? You know, can, can, can you see what I've been trying to convey to you in regards to humility? I mean, this is the greatest example that we have of humility. We're called to be humble. He never ceased to be God. He remained fully God. At, at any moment, he could have destroyed his enemies. He told Pilate as much, didn't he? I could call legions of angels. He owned everything, but he came into this world with nothing. You know, he was laid in a manger, in a stable. Had to borrow a tomb to be buried in. It wasn't even his tomb. Somebody else's. The God of all the universe who made all things. You want something to chew on? Let me give you something to chew on. You ready, Donnie? You may have thought about this before. The Lord didn't humble himself to pre-fallen Adam condition. That's interesting to think about. It wasn't pre-fallen humanity like Adam's, but a post-fallen humanity. He knew sorrow. He was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. You know, Adam in the garden wasn't acquainted with those things. After the fall, he was. He knew sorrow. He knew hunger. He knew pain. He knew suffering. Yet without sin. Hebrews 2.17 says, Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. He became us that he might die for us that he might save us. In other words... But the God, of, the God of all the universe humbled himself to become man. I mean, that, that should just enrapture us to think about. Well, let me hurry on. But we do have reason to say in thinking about these things what Paul says in Romans 11.33 when he says, How unsearchable are your judgments and your ways past finding out. Um, but here's the thing. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. You can summarize it in places like Colossians 3.12 where Paul says, Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies. Be merciful. Kindness. Be kind. Humbleness of mind. Be humble. Meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Do the same. Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. Let me just say, if you're here this morning and you're outside of Christ and you're looking in upon these things, you've heard... Some of the things that, that I've said, you know, he's, 
the Lord Jesus Christ came and humbled himself to die upon a cross, giving himself a sacrifice for our sins. How do you think it's going to go for you on the day of judgment if you rejected God's son? How do you think it's going to go for you when you stand before God and have to answer for your sins? Somebody's got to pay for your sins. Either you're going to pay for them or somebody else, and that's Christ. That's the only acceptable sacrifice. There's not a third option. Either he pays for your sins or you pay for them. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. If you refuse that and reject that, all I can say is that I admonish you, come to Christ. Come to Christ. And for all of you who are in Christ, who aren't on the outside looking in, but you're on the inside, look at this example of humility that's been set before us. Think about these, these concepts that we've been talking about, about high-mindedness and, and, and being conceited and, and overinflated in your estimation of yourself. Um, what is God pleased with? I mean, as parents, we know what kind of attitude and what kind of actions are pleasing, us, pleasing to us in our children. I, 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 I know what my wife expects of me, you know. She knows, I know, you know, the vice versa. What does God expect of us? What is God pleased with in us as his people? Here's one thing. Here's this thing we've been talking about. He's pleased with an humble mind and an humble heart. He's pleased with that. He looks upon that and he's well pleased. Are you concerned about pleasing God? You know, there's a good question. If you are, then high-mindedness does not please God. But an humble heart, a large heart towards others, not just being concerned about things of my own, but things of others, that pleases God. That pleases God. Let's stand.